Amen. What a powerful thing for us to declare together. The name of Jesus is power indeed. As we turn to God's word this morning, let's pray together and ask his spirit to speak to us. Father God, we declare that Jesus' name is higher than all names. We declare that we invite his presence to speak and move. We want to bring his presence into the world. We want to understand his presence in our own hearts. We want to walk with you and be with you and know you. We want to be transformed by you. We invite your spirit to work in our hearts this morning. We want to be humble. We want to open. We want to receive what you have for us. God, we want to hear. Help us to hear. Help us to see as we have sung and declared these things. God, we declare that you are God, that you are good, that you are in control. And God, we desire you to have that control in our hearts and lives as well. Speak to us here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, we're going to open our Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, one of the craziest stories in the whole Bible, the raising of Lazarus. We're going to read a portion of this here. We're going to go through a little bit more of it as we go through, but we're going to start in verse 17 as we begin. And we'll have it on the screen for you as well here if you need. John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. We'll see what God has for us this morning says this, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do we believe this? Do we believe that life is more than we think it is? That death is not what we think it is? That Jesus is God over all these things and that there is life beyond what we can see. Do we believe when Jesus says, you will never die? The Word has come to us and promised us that it is true. Amen? Well, indeed, welcome to 2024, everyone. We are here Winter has finally again descended a little bit more fully upon us, but again, not going to complain. We can already start to think about spring just around the corner. It's coming. And while we could use the moisture, I have not minded not shoveling. That has been great, but well, we've got to pull the shovels out. But we are through the holiday season now. We enjoyed Advent and Christmas Eve, and again, last week we had that amazing Christmas Eve party together, ringing in the new year together and setting us toward the new year and everything that God has in store for us. And as I said, I am excited. 
I think God has some big things in store for us this year. 2023, as I look back on it, was amazing. The things that we got to experience together, we had some worship nights and prayer days and Bible studies and ministry things. We had all kinds of baptisms and God is moving. His spirit is moving. And I think he's leading us towards some big things in his kingdom this year as well. And we're going to see him move in more amazing ways in our church family, in our community, in our own lives. As we walk together and seek to build his kingdom together, it's going to be fun. And I hope that you'll dive in with us, serve with us, explore with us, grow with us. Dig into a small group or a Bible study or one of our ministries. Serve together. Find ways to pour out into the lives of others. Worship, pray together. Pour into your neighborhood, your neighbors, the people around you, your workplace. The people that God surrounds you with. Be a light. Be salt, be love, bring the gospel to them. And let's see what God will do this year. But this week we're coming to the end of our Advent series studying the I Am statements of Jesus. This year we've been exploring the Word. Seeking to understand what God has given us in Scripture, in these pages, in this book. The power and the purpose, and the beauty of His Word. But in the Advent season, we then turned our eyes to the truth that the Word is more than a book. The Word is a person. It's Jesus. The Word made flesh. Born to reveal the very nature and presence of God to us, to teach us, and show us the Father. And in order to understand these things, we wanted to just ask Jesus directly, who are you? And in the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, Jesus told us just that. He told us who He is, what He means, what He's doing, and what He's inviting us into. And next week, I'm excited, we're going to be starting our new series, carrying this idea forward, looking, you know, Jesus has told us who He is, and now we're going to look into the red letter words and let Jesus speak to us about life and the kingdom and the things that He taught us. And it's going to be amazing, but again, today we're coming to the last week of these, this series, and if this is not the last of the I Am statements recorded in the Gospel of John it's the de- kind of the defining statement. In a sense, it's the dividing statement. It's the peak of the gospel, in a sense. It's, it's the dividing line, literally cutting the gospel in half. And drawing a line between what people think Jesus is and what he is telling us he is. You see, the Gospel of John can kind of be divided into two halves. The first half of John chapters 1 to 11 is kind of the whole story of Jesus' life and ministry. Everything he said and did, as much as John could capture. Because he also said towards the end of his Gospel that you could write, you know, you could fill the whole world with the stories of what Jesus said and did. And he recorded as much as he could here. But from his birth to his baptism to his three years of ministry all over the countryside, that's the first half of the Gospel of John. 
All the things that people experienced with Jesus, what they thought of Him, how they responded to Him. And then the whole second half of the Gospel of John from chapters 12 to 21 is all just about the last week of Jesus' life. His anointing at Bethany and His journey to the cross, those seven days. It's a dramatic way to lay out the Gospel and it shows how much John saw in that last week in the things that Jesus said and did. And here in chapter 11, right as he cuts from Jesus' whole life to those last few days, John tells us one story that sets the whole foundation of what was about to happen and connects Jesus' whole life to the cross. Jesus has been traveling all over the countryside He's been teaching and and performing miracles and the crowds are growing. And they're also becoming more divided. Arguing over the things that he was saying and doing. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were getting angrier and angrier. And there's a feeling that everything is about to come to a head. There's something about to happen. Something big. And at that time, Jesus goes back across the Jordan River away from Jerusalem and He's teaching there and the people are following Him and believing what He is saying and wanting to know more. And while He's out traveling, Jesus gets news that His friend is sick. John chapter 11, verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and his brother Lazarus. So when they heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Not sure the delay was appropriate. but And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, there's a thousand fascinating dynamics to this story, and you could spend a year just sitting in this chapter and letting Jesus speak to you about what He's revealing about the kingdom, about life, about Himself. But already here, Jesus sees what is to come. And He sees sickness and death everything we experience so naturally in a completely different way than we do. What does that mean? Is there something for us to understand there in the way Jesus sees things? All these things that worried them, all these things that filled them with fear, He sees through it to the kingdom, to eternity, to His, to his Father. 
What do we see as we walk through our lives and we face hardship, we face sickness, even death? I want to see what he sees. And in the story, it says he loves Martha and Lazarus, but he delays two days before going back to Bethany. It says the one you love, they had a very deep relationship with Lazarus. But he delays two days before going back to Bethany. And again, we can see something. The timing of the kingdom is completely different from the way we navigate life. And I know I don't listen nearly well enough to the pace that God is moving in my own life. There's so much here for us to see in the story. But the story goes on, verse 8. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. And then Jesus answers in this very strange way. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. They're trying to understand. And Thomas is probably doing about as well as I might have. What do you do with these things that Jesus is saying? How do you understand them? Even if you'd walked with him all these years, you had seen crazy things. And they're still struggling to wrap their heads around the way Jesus sees and understands life. The way he navigates life. The things he cares about. What do we do with these things that Jesus is saying? How do we understand them? Thomas' words here kind of almost reveal our own heart. Our own approach sometimes. This is... What happens when we try to guess what Jesus is saying instead of just listening and obeying whether we understand or not. We try to sound wise. Let us go that we may die with Him. We're trying to figure it out, but we're also trying to impress God. Look, I I get it. I understand what you're doing. We're trying to impress the people around us. And we wind up making up our own interpretations and explanations of what God is doing. Trying to sound wise and profound. When Jesus hasn't asked us to say anything, just listen. Just follow. Come and see. It's not about us. It's about Him. 
And Jesus is about to reveal in this story the very foundation of reality. And Thomas was not ready. We are not ready. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now this was significant because in that culture, and it wasn't an official teaching of Judaism, but it was more of a mystical belief, cultural belief in the ancient Near East that the soul or the spirit would stay with the body for three days and then it would pass on. So Jesus waiting four days means Lazarus is dead, dead. There's no coming back. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. She's sad, she's hurt, maybe angry. She's seen the miracles, why couldn't he have come? But she's still trying to believe. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She wants to believe still. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know. He will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. We grieve and we hurt. God knows that. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, 
said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Don't embarrass our family. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus commanded across time and space, across reality and eternity through the depths of death itself for life to return. Lazarus walked out of that tomb. What do we do with that? We read these stories, but are they anything more than that to us? Do we really believe that this happened? That this is possible? What was it to stand there To see that happen. To hear Jesus call into that tomb. And wonder what was going to happen. Can something happen? You'd be fascinated. Could could this be possible? And at the same time, you'd be terrified. What if something happens? What if he does come out? And all of a sudden you hear a noise. And the dead came to life. It happened. Lazarus walked out of that tomb. Martha's brother. We've all seen death. We have all lost people we love. It's over. They're gone. But here, this time, this moment, four days after, the power of Jesus brought him back to life. That doesn't happen. That can't happen. Death is final. We know that. It's all we've ever seen. It's all we've ever experienced. No one comes back. And no one knows what's next. Even if we say we do, we can't, we don't. But this, this man Jesus does. He knows what happens next. And he broke everything, changed everything. Who is this man? I am the resurrection and the life. One who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Jesus said that. He asked us that. He was looking at Martha, but He sees you. He's looking in your eyes. Do you believe this? Do you believe me? The other I am statements we've looked at all describe who Jesus is to us. Parts about Him. They talk about relationship, about provision, about care. They talk about how Jesus wants to walk with us, to share life with us, to lead us and protect us. But here, in this moment, Jesus reveals the foundation of reality itself. And it's not Adam's, it's Him. He is in absolute control. We see the nature of Jesus revealed. We see the nature of God revealed. The nature of creation and life revealed. It's Him. The power and the majesty and the glory of God. He is God. And that means more than we can begin to understand. Who is this man? Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The author of life. The creator of the universe. Who spoke existence into existence. The fantastical picture painted in Ezekiel chapter 1 of wheels within wheels covered with eyes and brilliant glowing light. The throne room described in Revelation chapter 4. Rainbows like emeralds and seas of glass. Fire and glory and power and beings beyond comprehension falling on their faces in worship. The creator of the universe. The pillar of fire falling on the altar of Elijah. The seas parting. The walls of Jericho crumbling to dust. Jesus is God. And He is in complete command of everything, including life and death itself. And here He has declared to us, if we believe in Him, death no longer has any power over us. Do you believe? John chapter 5, for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so 